This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. Hi, this is John Hall. In 1994, Tom Kehoe founded the Yards Brewing Company in Philadelphia. It was a three-barrel system. And from there, he moved to a new location in Roxborough, then one in Kensington, and then one that most people will remember for the last 10 years, a 50-barrel brew house on Delaware Avenue uh, in Philadelphia. Now, we're at his fifth location for Yards. It's a 100-barrel brew house, and it is become a brewery that is synonymous with Philadelphia. Uh, It is a brewery that has embraced the city's brewing traditions and has made uh, crisp, clean, flavorful lagers and ales uh, for as long as most people have been drinking craft beer. And I think when we look at uh, where the beer landscape is, um, Yards is a big, big part of that, especially here on the East Coast. So, Tom, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for coming by, John. Um, I want to start off a little bit on Philly because I, I come from New York and I, I've gone on the record by saying that I don't think it's a great beer town uh, at some at, at certain points like there's not quite the um, the level of beer love and respect that I, I think a city like New York should be giving a great beverage um, and I think Philly has a very great and proud brewing tradition, but it can also be overlooked when it comes to cities like San Diego or Denver, uh, Portland, both of them, obviously. Um, what is it about Philly that you think makes it such a great beer town? Philadelphia has a great brewing heritage, which, you know, there was people here that, you know, worked for a living, very, you know, working class type of society. Um, you know, neighborhoods which, you know, embraced the local beers and local breweries back before Prohibition. And I think that sort of mentality, it's like, you know, what we drink is beer. And I think that, you know, they were really excited to, you know, have beer that became local to them. You know, beers, beers that were made right down the street. Not in the beginning, you know, they didn't understand. But, you know, eventually they understood and came around to, hey, we want our, we want our beer. When beer made right in Philadelphia. And when you started off in 94, 95 with, with the three barrel system, I mean, that seems impossibly small. I, even by today's standards, I mean, I know there's nanos that are out there these days, but it, 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 it seems like it was, I, I don't know, like, were you under planning for success? Well, we weren't under planning for success. We just wanted to get into the business in a sense. So what we did, we did this uh, three barrel system. Uh, we did keg only, which is probably the hardest sell to get, <laughs> yeah. you know, to get into the bars and things like that. And we really couldn't afford a packaging line or a bottling line or anything like that. And there was no such thing as uh, the uh, mobile canning companies that would come by back then. Uh, you either owned your equipment or you, <laughs> you know, you didn't do it. Uh, so I think that was a big part of you know how we got started and you know just get getting out there and beginning we delivered all the beer ourselves you know self-distributed brought it right there built relationships and you know they got to know you and they got to know your beer and it was a big point of you know how this sort of beer culture you know really got to be what it is 
And I just want to point out to folks who are listening right now. So we're at the brewery. It's not officially open to the public just yet. That'll happen in the next couple of days. Yeah. Uh, there are more uh, construction workers here than there are probably <laughs> brewing personnel uh, at the moment, uh, as it were. But everything is still wrapped. So if you hear bangs and beeps and everything else, that's uh, construction bringing this brewery. Yep, we're to, we're uh, knocking to out the punch list, as they say. <laughs> you were saying with this new 100-barrel system before we came on that you could be brewing uh, 12 times a day uh, on this. It's that efficient. Yes. Um, when you had a three-barrel system, how many times a day did you have to be brewing just to we, make it work? We brewed uh, twice a day, uh, three days a week. That's it. That's it. We were making 36 kegs a week. And, you know, that was what we did, you know, and that was it was able to pay our bills and give us uh, a little bit of return on our investment. You know, we didn't take a salary. We just paid back the loans we gave to the company in a sense as a salary. So we got a little bit of income out of it. Yeah. But the great thing is you were out there every time your beer was tapped drinking with uh, the people that were trying your beer for the first time. Is there something that is, because I want to get into to what got you into to brewing to begin with, but that's such an intimate experience, being able to sit there and witness uh, people drinking your beer for the first time. And I feel like it, it was so much different back then in 95 than it is now, where you don't have that opportunity. Uh, maybe you're getting impressions off of uh, internet apps and social media and, and things like that. Has there been a little bit of the intimacy lost, do you think, over time, even as you've grown and also but as the beer industry has become what it is today? You definitely lose that for most of your main products. But one good great thing about having a tasting room or a tap room is the fact that you can, you know, put something on tap there that people are trying for the first time. And it's like your little experiment. Do I want to make this one of my full time beers? Do I want to make it a seasonal? Let's try out this half of ice and see if people like it. And they try it right there, and you get real good, honest, right off the, right off the tip of their first sip, you know, impression of what the beer is. And you think about that if they weren't at yards, and if they were at some place, and they had nobody telling them what the beer was, you know, and how they're how they're thinking about that. And then because basically you're letting letting your beer go, letting your baby go out there to the world, and they're you know trying it, but there's nobody out there to reinforce that it's yards and that, you know, we made it this way on purpose, or if you don't like it, you know, that's not, you know, we weren't concerned with that. No, we, we want to, we want to find out about that. So it, it's great to have that tap room experience. You've obviously seen the the customers who now drink your beer, they've become much more knowledgeable. Absolutely. <laughs> Does that make your job harder or easier? Both, honestly, because, you know, it's harder because some people that don't understand uh, beer and just sort of going like, oh yeah, this is bitter and I'm supposed to like this. And then other people that really are educated about beer and that know like, oh yeah, quality and consistency is what I want from beer. I don't want to be going to buying, buying a six pack, bringing it home and you know, I don't want to drink it because I had it one time it was good. I didn't have it good and it wasn't good. So having that quality and consistency and you know, making a good product really is what we're all about before we went on uh we were 
going through the list of breweries who opened up right around the same time that you did. Yeah. Uh, I just had Sam from Dogfish Head on uh, the, the show. Uh, he opened up in 95. You had uh, Victory opened up in 95 uh, or 96 thereabouts. Uh, Flying Fish uh, just across the river in yeah. Jersey. There's a few others um, around that time. Yeah, I think Sly Fox was just getting started then and uh, Iron Hill. Okay. So, what, what do you think was happening? I mean, I know you can only speak for yourself, but what was it about that particular period of time in this particular area um, and the fact that the breweries that you just named and I know that there's been others who, who have come and gone but mm-hmm. the ones that you just named who all of you opened up at the same time are all seeing fairly big levels of success and, and signs of longevity um, what do you think led you at that period of time to open up um, and what do you think has helped all of you in that class uh, continue on this trajectory? I think it's, you know, kind of respect for the product, first of all. And, you know, and you could tell when people have that. I mean, it was back then when we were all first at, you know, in our infancy, we were all doing beer festivals together. There wasn't many out there, and we all showed up to every single one of them. And Sam was at every beer festival. Brian O'Reilly, Mark Edelson, Bill Kovaleski, we're all serving beer. And, you know, it was us. They were getting to meet us, and we were all talking about it. And, you know, we it was great, you know, when we became friends growing up that way. Not necessarily as competitors that we are. I mean, that's for the salespeople. But, you know, it was really fun to, you know, have that uh, – you know, that passion that kept us growing. The reason I guess we got there was a lot of things like the time, I guess, you know, there was some beers that were just, you know, people were trying to do those beers. The, the Sam Adams, the, uh, you know, contract brews like Pete's Wicked Ale. Sure. They were just starting to become popular. You were able to get beers that, and, but we kind of knew deep down inside, it's like, yeah, you know, but there isn't any local beer like that. So we wanted to do something like that. And people really thought we were nuts, you know, for the most part. It's like, how are you going to compete with the big guys? And I was like, we're not going to compete with them. We're going to we're doing something different. We're doing something that is, you know, you know, from, you know, from the neighborhoods up. And I think that was a big thing. I was saying earlier, too, with my uh, the way our brewery started with a three bow brewery and, you know, running the whole thing on a shoestring is that you know one big step that made it easy for us to get into business was in 1991 when we started writing business plans and planning to do something like this we had to buy a a truckload of grain at a time Mm -hmm. you know you couldn't just get a couple pallets but the home brewers they started to uh you know brew with grain and the homebrew supply shops were getting supplied by their suppliers like Crosby and Baker and LD Carlson. And they were homebrew supply shops that would sell you one or two pallets of malt at a time. So we went and bought three pallets to get ourselves going. And we didn't have to buy a whole tractor trailer load. Of course, we sold the beer and then we bought more ingredients. And it kind of worked like that. And you were able to get hops directly from them. You didn't have to go through hop contracts or anything like that. It was a way that, you know, allowed small brewers to get into business. I mean, now we're, you know, we're buying silos full of malt. <laughs> yeah, I saw them when I was, when I was coming yeah. in. It's, um, I just remember Jack McAuliffe, uh, one of the original microbrewers, or the original microbrewer, I guess, out in Sonoma, California, telling me a similar story that when he first started, uh, he, none, nobody would sell him malt. So he would actually uh, ask Anchor to tack on an extra order, an extra pallet of yep. their order. Uh, and then he would, he would go down and buy from them. They were actually milling it for him as well because he didn't have his own order right. um, uh, in there. Um, 
in that sort of homebrew spirit, though, what do you think set your brewery apart early on from some of the others? Like what you guys became known for doing certain beers. Right. Um, you know, obviously the you know some of the uh, the the founding father recipes and uh, and going into all of that. But was there a conscious thought that you had of how do we separate ourselves from the big guys or from anybody else who might have come up right before you or that you knew were coming up? Right. Well, I mean, we, we actually made real conscious effort at this. You know, we were tasting all these craft brews out there and we're Sierra Nevada, um, you know, Brooklyn, everybody that's, that was out there at the time. And one of the things we noticed, like we could pick out Cascade hops in a beer. Mm -hmm. And then we thought, you know what, we're trying to do, you know, what we liked, you know, we're brewing, we always laugh, we brew the beer for us, what we can't finish is what we sell. Sure. <laughs> so, brewers but, yeah. Yeah, but, but, but it was kind of true, because we, we love the English ales. And we thought that we wanted to do what we work, what we call now the extra special ale, which was basically like a, an, a bulky, strong, extra special bitter. You know, we had a little bit more chocolate malt in there than would be in, to the style. And we cranked up the alcohol a little bit to be about five and a half, almost six. And then we also did, uh, you know, a lot of uh, dry hopping with East Kent Goldings in it. And, you know, it's what we liked. It's what we really you know, wanted, wanted to do. And that was, you know, our style. And then, you know, it, it got out there and it was different. It was very aggressive back then. And, you know, as, as things are today, an extra special ale, an extra special bitter is not anywhere near what was going to impress anybody. It's like down lower in the, uh, the food chain as far as popularity of beer. But it was our flagship for at least 10, 12 years. What replaced it? Philly Pale. Okay, you know, <laughs> so you can't escape the hops. No, we no exactly. So, but but the thing is, now we did more aggressive hopping, and but we you know it wasn't Cascade again, but it was still you know it was that assertive hop and a light drinkable beer, and I think that's what really you know, and we were inspired by the Phillies building a new stadium, mm -hmm. and we wanted to have something that people wanted to drink in the summer in the sun. That's refreshing and, you know, you could pound. But, you know, we didn't want it bitter, but we wanted it hoppy. Okay. And that was how we, we approached it. And, you know, it, it's, it's, it's another long story with it, but found the Simcoe hop looking for a hop for our Saison because it had this sort of citrusy oranges that we wanted to have in our Saison our and then tried it in, in, in the pale ale and it just worked. And we, were, we kept that. That's our signature hop for that beer. Do you think had you opened with that beer uh, that you'd be sitting here in your new brewery now? I mean, I, I know it's, it's not always easy to Monday morning quarterback, but <laughs> back then when you opened and having an English ale was probably a bit of an easier sell, at least out here on the East Coast, um, than a, a more hop forward beer. Yeah, I don't know if the hoppy beers would have been the uh, big, big players back then. And if I could think about it, it, nobody really did that many IPAs back then either. Sure. They, IPAs was almost like a seasonal. Hey, we're doing an IPA. Cool. Let's, you know, let's make it impressive. And then, you know, that the draw of IPAs is, you know, it's still going on. It's great. Oh, 100%. Yeah. yeah. Um, did you ever... <laughs> I'm just, we're all laughing now at the construction uh, that, that's happening. Um, be honest. 
Were you looking at some of the other breweries in the area, though, and everybody was trying to carve out their own space back in those early days of, you know, okay, we're going to be the English ale, Sam's going to do all the experimental stuff and some, you know, crazy hop stuff, uh, Victory's going to go for the German styles. Uh, I mean, it was, was I, I can't imagine there's ever a, 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 a conversation that you all had with each other for various legal reasons, but, like, if... Uh, was there a consciousness to, to, to your plan of, okay, we want to stand out this particular way? Um, yes and no. I mean, we always thought that we always worked well together, all us brands. You know, yeah, it is Pennsylvania. We have a lot of German heritage here. Yeah. Things like that. But at the same time, you know, people, you know, our big influencers were the people that were doing the crazy stuff like Rogue. Sure. You know, doing doing beers that were really aggressive then and now it's you know rogue is you know kind of mainstream these days yeah you know things like that and all those uh kind of beers and things that you know we knew that like yeah we we all had more than one beer so it was never the same beer competing against the same beer but we noticed that when we would get on tap at a local a local bar or restaurant and you know we would be the only craft beer on we would do well and then they would start adding more. Okay. And they would never they would never always add one that was competitive with it, more complimentary. So if we had the pale ale on, somebody was putting on a porter. Okay. Or the English ale and then somebody was putting on the Belgian triple. So you know, it, it worked out well that way because before the taps were same macro brew, same macro brew, same macro brew light. Right. <laughs> you know, so all the beers taste the same. Now they had the, the ability to say, hey, <clears throat> we can do something different. So, uh, You're wearing the shirt, so it made me uh, <laughs> think of it, uh, with uh, Washington's Tavern Porter, and you had uh, Jefferson's uh, Tavern Ale, and then the spruce beer that uh, uh, Benjamin Franklin was known for. Yeah. Um, Obviously, you know, these are things that, that were known to people. Um, what inspired you to start doing some of those historic inspired beers? It was... Um, Obviously being in Philly with the Declaration of Independence and everything else, but... Yeah, it, it, we were a perfect fit. I mean, we were brewing beer with direct flame, you know, kind of doing that old world kind of, uh, you know, like a Peter Austin type system brew house. <laughs> and what, what happened, our wholesaler who dealt with... Uh, with the city tavern who's you know the basic reason we started doing this and they had a bunch of research and they gave it to us about the beers and part of their lease is uh they need to make food and beverage from the time of you know the american revolution kind of thing so they're making all these older recipes and sausages (laughs) and i know yeah can you think of anything you don't want to eat? Yeah, God. That's, uh, a lot of molasses pies, yeah, things like that. Yeah, exactly. It's a squirrel and uh, right. yeah, all the ferret you can eat. Um, okay, so but that's... But what, he, what they were doing, they were getting like a porter from somebody that made a porter and calling it Washington Porter. Okay. And they were getting a strong ale and calling it Jefferson and, thing, and so forth. And they really only had the two going on. And they would, you know, say like Martha's Wheat or something like that. Sure. And then... Things when, that had no basis we, in historical yeah, fact. Exactly. Yeah. So we were small enough that we were able to say, you know what, we can make a whole batch of that and sell it all to you. And they were... They would go through. They were a great account. They would go through tons of beer, and you know we were able to actually do that. So we ended up, 
you know, really sitting down with them and, you know, doing the Washington Porter with uh, molasses in it and everything, doing the Thomas Jefferson ale with, you know, honey and rye and, uh, you know, corn that was in there and a bunch of wheat. Um, and then, as luck would have it, uh, the tercentary of Ben Franklin came along and everybody wanted to brew a Ben Franklin beer. And we're like, yeah, let's do that, too. And the Philosophical Society here in Philadelphia wrote a book called Franklin's book on food and had the recipe for a spruce beer. So we ended up doing that and that there, there are three beers we bring over to the, uh, to the city tavern and, and, and it's been Washington, a great relationship. And Washington and Jefferson though, they are based on historical recipes, historical recipes okay. that they've, that they've done and they've talked about. Okay. So yeah. And one was, uh, the Washington one was great cause it was a letter he wrote to the troops right. on how to, you know, take a field beer and add some molasses to it so you could have more beer for the end of the week. You know, things like that. So it's really neat, you know. And we will say that, you know, they're not, you know, exactly the way they're supposed to be, you know, the way they would have been. Right. We wanted to make sure it tasted really good. And also the Thomas Jefferson was about 11%, you know, the one he's. <laughs> and we weren't ready to release an 11% beer on uh, Philadelphia tourists visiting right. Liberty Bell. So we decided to make it 8%. It's still a, it's still a big boy. But it's uh, it's not the way uh, Jefferson originally had it. Have you ever gotten it up to eleven? Have you guys done special releases no. with that? Oh come on! <laughs> this seems like the perfect opportunity <laughs> we, with the we, new we place. Do a, we it's, do a barley uh, wine. Yeah, it yeah. might might be pretty cool to do it here. Yeah, yeah. we have a lot uh, of options to to play with things here, and we're gonna we're gonna have room to do a lot more things, a lot more exciting, fun things. You know, a little more barrel space to do some barrel aging. And we have a couple that we've messed around with, but never really had the space to do it. So. With each new uh, brewery, you've been able to add on new recipes, you've been able to add on capacity, you've been able to uh, do things that you just physically were limited um, in, in doing before. Uh, as I mentioned in the opening, this is your fifth location now. It's a 100-barrel brew house, which is a, a far cry from, uh, from, from your first one. Uh, Ten years at the old place. How long has this place been in planning uh, and... How did it evolve in your mind as to when you started planning, like, oh, we should do this to where we are right now? Like, were you thinking another 50 barrel brew house? Were you always thinking about doubling? We like that's that that's what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. So we started planning or started thinking about moving in 2014. OK. And I know that because I actually have a little flyer that was on this building. We went and looked at the building and then decided it really wasn't going to work because of the, just the cost of the it. The one we're in right the now. The one we're in right okay. now, yeah. Because it says October 2014 on it because we had, had to go security to get here. There was yeah. still the company Destination Maternity in here making baby clothes and maternity clothes. So, you know, so beer then, often we knew leads they were, to, they were uh, yeah, I think that that's a nice synergy that you have there. It's yeah, uh, so, My wife doesn't like it when I make that joke, but yeah. So... So what what had happened, you know, we, we started thinking, it's like, you know, eventually this is going to happen. And, you know, you know, leases run out, things like that. So you're always trying to plan around that. And we didn't want to be caught like behind the eight ball or anything like that. So we started looking, started looking at real estate everywhere, looking at neighborhoods, trying to find different places. And then what happened, we you know, the guys that were doing stuff with this building, you know, their idea wasn't working out. So they wanted to regroup and then they reapproached us. And we're like, look, you know, this is what we can, you know, afford to do. <clears throat> but, you know, being in the city, we're willing to work with you guys and to get, get it set up that, you know, you guys won't be hurting in the long run mm -hmm. and we'll be able to grow here. 
So we ended up coming to an agreement and uh, that was probably about uh, maybe a year and seven months ago. And by the time it got through all the lawyers, we finally signed the paperwork a little over a year ago and we were off to the races. You know, we already had an architect. We already started planning, you know, getting ready to make this make this a reality. This seems impossibly fast, though, <coughs> like for for something of this size. And, you know, I encourage everybody to come to Philly and, and check this out. And um, when do you officially plan to close uh, North Delaware? And when do you plan to fire up the kettles here for the first time? Um, we should be uh, closing North Delaware by the end of January. Okay. And firing it up at about the same time. Okay. So there's still yeah. time to come and, and see the old place and, and pay your respects to it. Yeah, but we've it's just a brewery now. Okay. We we, we don't even do tours over there anymore. Really? Okay. Yeah, so it's just, uh, just come here. And it, the tour now is watch us as we grow. Watch us as we... Uh, Put everything in the real construction will probably be done probably in about uh the middle to uh you know the third week in december yeah when all the uh all the piping should be done first week in december and then we have a bunch of uh you know electric to run you know low voltage control wires because the the brew house is uh 100 automated okay so we all that stuff and then what we're going to do is we have to test everything out for about three to four weeks mm -hmm. you know making sure all the all the valves turn when they're supposed to you know the the meters are reading the flow meters are doing everything they're supposed to do so it's a big prep time for that and that's what's that's what's going to get us in here then we'll then we'll start brewing and you know i mean you have to be eager to to get in on this system now really really eager so what was what was some of the things that you never thought that you might be able to have that now suddenly you do is it the canning line is it canning line was a big part of it i mean we wanted we didn't have the space to do it at the old place we right. thought we about doing it a few years ago and were you we, ever anti-can no never okay. anti-can okay but i always was like well why wouldn't you want to drink it in a bottle sure you know the can was uh you know, it had it had its place, and it still has its place, and that's why you know cans are going to do so good for us. <clears throat> um, one one big reason is the stadiums. Bring cans into a stadium, so we're going to do a sixteen to twelve ounce can. Okay, you know, right away, and it's going to be an interesting part of it. I went went to a tour at uh, uh, I think it was Great Divide. Okay, up out in, in Denver. Out, yeah. out in Denver, and they have the one spot where they do all the canning and. During the tour, one of the guys I was on the tour with asked, so why cans? And her answer was the Colorado lifestyle. And I was like, that's the answer I'm going to use. Okay. Because, you know, you think about it. So you're the, living the, the Colorado lifestyle? That's in Philadelphia. You know, we're, <laughs> we're going to go hiking. We're going to go somewhere. Legal it's all marijuana. the, it's all yeah, the same all reasons. You know, it's like, it's like you, want, you want to be able to have portable, you know, and you want to be able to, you know, be able to throw it away and be good to the environment too. But you're not discontinuing bottles. We're not. Not okay. at all. Yeah, bottles are definitely going to remain. Okay. Yeah. I mean, but it remains, I guess, see how long because there. I, I've seen so many breweries like once they start canning, uh, the bottles quickly become less relevant than they had before. Well, it's funny around here talking to the breweries that, yeah. are, that are doing both cans and bottles. Bottles are staying pretty strong. Really? Yeah. There's they, they all they do with the cans is increase how much they're they're selling. Okay. So the bottles, you know, haven't really gone anywhere, and I think people are still buying a, a lot of bottles. I know, like a restaurant would, you know, 
are going for bottles, but then there there's some restaurants that all they do is cans. Sure. Which is neat, you know, and they have a, they usually have like an outdoor kind of atmosphere with them. With cans now, can we expect to see you doing New England IPAs and Saturday morning special releases? No, but we're gonna. <laughs> <laughs> but we well, are gonna not? we are gonna I, do I we are gonna do our big model. double IPA in a sixteen ounce can. Are you? Yeah, because we right. think you know what we'll show Vermont how to do it. Wow. And it's going to be filtered. You're just throwing it down there. That's not the Colorado <laughs> lifestyle. That's uh, that's very much the the, the Philly lifestyle. Absolutely, um, uh, as it were. Um, what are some of the recipes? You know, so you started off doing you know the English ales and, and some of the old stuff, and then you went into uh, to, to some of the hoppier beers. With this new system now, and you have a pilot system as well. Um, where do you want to go? Like, what 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 what's sort of the next frontier? for you at this point because you're not one of these breweries that I think uh, is satisfied with staying the same. I mean, I, you, you do have that, you're rooted in the, the Washington Jefferson uh, Franklin type beers and some of your earlier days, but I, I don't think that you've ever been a brewery that stops and says, okay, we're, we're always going to be 2004. Right. We're not chasing trends. Okay. We, we've never done a pumpkin beer. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, but one of the things that we're, we're looking at is like, you know, quality. I mean, we know that what's going to separate us from all these little breweries that are coming out there is consistency and quality. And that's going to make a big difference. One thing that we've just done, we did a, 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 a lager at the old place. Yeah. And it's something that, you know, everybody has fallen in love with, and it's something that we want to do a little bit more of, and we'll probably bring it into a packaged product probably sometime in uh, 2018. Okay. 16-ounce so cans? Maybe. Okay. Yeah. It, uh, could, it could be cans. I'm just be, putting in the could request. could be bottles. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's something that, uh, you know, we really like, and, you know, and also bringing a couple more beers that have been really relegated to seasonals uh, to bring them to be an all-year-round beer. You know, we have one beer that we do in the summertime that people just, they, it seems like they can't get enough of it. It's called Pink, mm-hmm. and it's like a tart ale with uh, uh, sour cherries and raspberries in it. And, you know, people said, like, I would drink this all year round. And we get it from so many people that, you know, we have the capacity, we have the ability to do this now where we can brew things you know, different than we did before. Yeah. Where we were limited. It's like, okay, we had to gear up for a seasonal, make sure we had tanks cleaned out, put up, put all the seasonal into the tanks and then kind of run it through and get it packaged so it's out there for the, for that next three months. Do you believe people when they say that though, that they'll drink it year round? I mean, do you keep a list of these people and you're going to call them now in <laughs> like right. dead of January and say, come get your pink, like it's sitting here for you right now. Um, well, it's, it's not just, it, it's the wholesalers. Okay. You know, they're, they're talking about it too. Yeah. They're like, you know, yeah, we, we could, we have a market for something like this that we could always use. And I do worry about that because I know that, you know, if you're not taking it away and then giving it back to them, they're not as excited about it. And that, that's one thing that we always do with marketing. We always want to make sure we get people excited about things. We get people, you know, fired up about the next new thing that we're doing or something that's coming back. You mentioned quality and it's something that I'm obviously as a, as a consumer and a, and a drinker super passionate about and wish that there was more uh, attention being paid, uh, especially you mentioned some of the smaller guys uh, you know, that are out there these days. Um, 
if in the early days, and, and I think we mentioned either beforehand or, or, or during this conversation, I, I wasn't paying attention. Um, uh, it's a joke. Uh, the, um, but that there were people who went by the wayside, that those of you who survived uh, did so because you did put quality first and you, you tried new and inventive things. And the breweries that have closed along the way, especially back in the day, were the ones that were either trying to do the quick cash grab and it was never going to work to begin with, or they were just making poor liquid that couldn't stand up next to it. And I think that we are possibly headed uh, into that arena again. I don't think there's going to be the mass uh, extinction like there was uh, years ago. But I do think that consumers are getting more savvy um, and... I also think, though, that brewers are being more vocal to other brewers. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you find yourself having to, as now an elder statesman of this industry, having to pull some of the young guys aside and be like, hey, or or no? I will always compliment somebody's beer. Okay. And uh, they'll know it. Hey, it's in the glass. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it's something that, you know, you, you... you 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 want them to do things better. You wanna you wanna talk to them about it. You wanna help them out. And you know that's the first thing I would be doing is like, so how are you doing this? You know, and, and just try to talk to them about. You know, you should really think about you know doing you know some sort of a test before you put this in a can next time mm-hmm. because it shouldn't be blowing up. Yeah, <laughs> you know, little things like that. But I but at the same time, you know, we're we we help. I mean, we're happy to have people bring stuff over to our lab and we'll, we'll work with them and say like, Hey, you know, we're finding this. Have you, have you tried doing this? You know, that that's the easy stuff. The hard stuff is like, you know, getting them to be like, Hey, you know, this is great. You know, it really needs more, you know, more flavor to be considered a Marsden or something like that, you know, just, you know, th- things like that. And, uh, I think, I think, you know, that, that comes more from, I think their consumers and from what, what they're doing. The other thing is, you know, there's so many places and outlets for people to sell beer these days Yeah. where before you would only have a few places that you would be able to high spot that would be selling craft beer. Now everybody is. So you, you're going to last so much longer selling that beer. That's not great, but it's a new name for them to put on their chalkboard for, for a lot longer than you were, you know, back when 97, when all the, all those breweries went out. It's in your best interest though, uh, as you're growing and you said you did 42,000 barrels last year and you have the capacity for a hundred thousand here. It's in your best interest that these small guys are firing on all cylinders and actually doing a good thing as well. Because it, it, it the, the true, the, the truth is uh, that if the rising tide rises all boats, then, you know, a low tide can actually <laughs> sink everybody as well. Yeah. It's going to, it's going to affect our reputation if, you know, cause we're going to be lumped into craft brewers too. Hopefully we've, you know, already gotten past that point where people think of us, you know, not, not in the same group, but a lot of people just aren't educated enough yet. That was one thing we did back when, when I, in the beginning in 95, 96, it was educating people as to what good beer was. Now that they know, you know, they're a little bit more, you know, ready to say, yeah, we, I'm, I'm going to choose a different beer. When you started off in 95, uh, now looking back uh, with the benefit of hindsight, what is one piece of advice that you wish somebody had given you back then? <laughs> uh Take your time, choose wisely, you know, the, the, the places you're going with your beer, you know, just don't, just don't get a sale, just go out there and be purposeful 
with with everything that 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 you're selling. So, purposeful is an, an interesting word because that's something that sort of permeates this brewery. Um, yeah. I mean, there's there's a there's a strong sense of community. There's a strong sense of uh, with all of your employees. It's um, a lot of your branding as well of you know being united, being working towards uh, a common goal. And in a lot of ways, you know, while you are a beer company, it, it seems like you're also like a very community focused you know, as well. Um, how did the two play hand in hand? Well, we, we couldn't, we couldn't be a successful brewery if our neighbors didn't like us in a sense. And that, and that's all that, and that's all of Philadelphia. You know, we wouldn't be successful if we weren't, you know, part of their, the interaction that we would have to them day to day, being part of their, their fundraising, being part of their, you know, it's a cleanup day. Yards is going to be there. We're going to help out, not just with our guys helping clean up, but we'll bring some beer, you know, <laughs> things like that. You know, it's, you know, it's, it's a good feeling. It's like we have something that, you know, is kind of tangible that people love. And, you know, we, we love to share it. So it, that's, that's something neat about it. And also, you know, it's kind of like brew onto others is one of our themes that we go with. And it's really great because, you know, it's, you can be taken so many different ways. You know, one is just maybe sharing a beer with somebody. The other is, you know, sort of like, you know, this is what we do, you know, as a business, you know, wouldn't it be great if you were doing that too? Recycle, you know, recycle your trash, put your, uh, you know, good, use wind energy or solar energy things like that things that are you know that you know just it might not be the best decision but it's a decision that you're really making a conscious effort to say hey you know i'm trying to make my company better and do things like that and you know it's also you know i i always say that you know with the whole brew on others and the, and the sharing of the beer it's like you got guys that work next to each other every day brewing beer on the packaging line and after they're done they go and have a beer with each other. Yeah, they talk about what went on that day. A lot of companies, they leave, they come back the next morning, and you don't know what's what's happening. You know, you know the person you're you're next to. You're most likely more to if he's you know struggling one day to you know to be picking up the slack, you know things like that. And that and that's kind of what the culture of this you know beer community and what yards is about. And we also do the thing we call like you know with the brew on others. It's like you know the recognizing fighting the good fight sure which is kind of our brawler label in a sense but you know recognize people that are doing that and you know we we were given out brawler of the week awards things like that you know it's like and for, we, for we, employees or for no, for like other companies and things like that okay you know that are just doing things like you know the garces foundation you know what what they do with their foundation we did a video and i don't know what they do up. with their foundation <laughs> so they they uh i guess are teaching you know i guess kids how to you know cook Oh, okay. Things like that. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, so fighting the good fight, yeah. you know, as it were. It seems like today, there's always seems to be a fight in craft beer um, and, and in brewing. And it's, if it's uh, the us versus them being little guys versus big guys, or if it's craft on craft, or if it's, you know, the three-tiered system or, you know, whatever else. I, I don't know if it's just the benefit of drinking a lot of alcohol uh, where we all just want to fight all the time or, or, or what. But, you know, I mean, the fight right now is, it seems like the larger breweries, um, you know, that, that that are coming in and breweries of your size in that uh, 50,000 to 100,000 uh, range have seemed to be a target um, in the last uh, in the in the last couple of years yeah. um, because it's it's 
it's sort of like a soft belly to, 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 to go after. Um, how does Yards, how does your brewery um, continue to fight the good fight uh, in the face of uncertain times like this when it comes to the beer industry? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting because, I mean, just here in Philadelphia, we have a Goose Island brew pub that's being built. Okay. You know, and really that's an Anheuser-Busch brew pub that's being built. You know, and you know their quality is going to be good. You know it's going to be a competitive environment. Uh, you know, they're going to be viewed as a local a local brew. You know, we all know they're from Chicago. We all know that, you know, they've been acquired by Anheuser-Busch. But, you know, some people are going to look right past that. Sure. And it's going to, it's going to be competition. It's going to be something that, you know, can, with all the money behind them, can be real threatening to us. And that's why I think that we, you know, we have to really do things, you know, really the best we can, you know, quality and keep out there and keep in front of everybody and try to, you know, do things that are a little bit more creative, um, just as far as, you know, being able to connect with the people of Philadelphia, the people of, you know, where we sell our beer. You know? well, and one of the things to that end in this new brewing space is you now have a, is it fair to call it a restaurant? I mean, you have a kitchen. Yeah. Um, which you haven't necessarily had before. Exactly. Yeah. Um, we did mostly food trucks were yeah. at our old location. And we had we had a kitchen that did grilled cheese and chili. Okay. <laughs> That's right. Um, but this is this is a step up from that. I mean, you're yeah. working with an award, uh, award-winning award chef, uh, uh, a recognized chef here uh, in Philly. Was that always part of your plan to have uh, a more full kitchen or is that just the nature of where we are right now and it's another space to grow or a combination? Well, we we felt we needed to up our game as far as, you know, 10 years ago when we moved into the location on Delaware Avenue, people were occasionally going to a brewery tour. Now it is purposeful and people are going every town they go into they're finding out what local brewery is doing a brewery tour and are going there and visiting those breweries. It's a real tourist attraction. It's a real, uh, you know, it's a real business. There are now, I mean, 10 years ago, there were five brew pub tasting rooms in, in the city. Now there's over, over 30 in the city Amazing. of Philadelphia. It, it, it's really crazy. Now we're competing against them to get people in. So... We knew that we needed to up our game. We knew we, need, we had to have a tasting room that was able to compete with all this. And part of that was, you know, having an event space because people love going to breweries. And they have an event in a brewery, they get better attendance. Like an alumni so- association wants to have their gathering. You know, they, they come to a brewery, they get better attendance. They, they're willing to, you know, stake that. So now we have a separate event space along with the... Uh, with the t- with the tap room, yeah, you know it's not a tasting room anymore because we kind of grew out of the tasting room. We're now a tap room. We, you know, we'll sort of serve beers and we'll serve them some food with that. And if we're not if we're not really good, you know, people are gonna call us out on that. And they're sure. gonna be like, well, I was gonna go there, but you know, I'd rather go get something to eat first than go there. We don't want that excuse, but at the same time, we want people to come here for the beer, right? So. But they can come for both now. I mean, it's it's the economy of time where Absolutely. where people are going to yeah. spend time. They're going to spend more money, uh, and the point should be that they should do it. I guess with, with you guys exactly. Um, and we lucked into having uh, Jim Burke, our our executive chef, come on board, and you know, did did stuff that we. I mean, we're brewers. We don't know how to create a menu or do the restaurant part. We 
hired some good people to help us out with that. Does that put you in a different category now where in the past when you were selling your beer to bars, to restaurants uh, that served food where people would go probably before they would come or after, does that put you guys now in a, in a different position, in an awkward position with, with some of those folks? That, you know, Being in Jersey, I know uh, there, there's big fights that are happening between the Restaurants Association uh, and the brewers because the Restaurant Association is saying like, you know, we don't even want you to serve chips at your bar because, you know, people need to come to our establishments to eat and the brewers are like we, we can give them a bag of chips and they're 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 fighting about that yeah but is that something that you took into account beforehand and something that you've it's, had conversations it's always about? been a big concern and i really understand that thinking and how people do that and my thought is you're right but what we're doing here is something more than competing with you we're we're kind of like disneyland for beer we're bringing people in here, showing them the brewery, showing them the brewing process, giving them tours, getting them excited. No mice, though. No. No. Okay. <laughs> Mickey's not allowed in. <laughs> but getting them excited yeah. about the beer to the point where when they leave here, they're going to go out and get something to eat. They're going to they're you know, they're not going to come back to yards every night. They're going to go other places. They're going to want to buy yards the next place they go. It's just going to generate and push the sales up. I mean, it's funny. I, I always say it's like, who built this brewery? Well, it was, you know, the people that drink yards and the bar owners that, you know, supported us all these years, they built this brewery. Yeah. So it's for them. It's going to make their, you know, yard sales and experience that much stronger. You know, we're going to get people here because, you know, it's the tourism place. You know, people are going to come here once, but... They always go back to their local restaurant. They always go to the local bar, and that's where we're going to do great. And to get them to understand that is going to more than just me talking about it that way. They're going to really have to see it. They're going to have to see people come in excited about yards. Oh, I've been there. Oh, but you came here afterwards? Of course I did. I, this is my favorite place. You know, so, but favorite place, favorite beer to have it there. It's not always going to be the, the brewery. Uh, this is airing towards the end of 2017, which has been a, a, a weird year, I think, uh, just uh, in, in life and in general for uh, for, for most people. Um, do you have a hope for 2018 for beer drinkers out there? Not a not a resolution that they should make, but something that you think all beer drinkers should try to have top of mind going into the new year, or, or that you hope that they will. I hope that they, you know, really, you know. Embrace the beers that are near them, that are they're passionate about, and help them along the way by supporting them. You know, whether it's a small brewery down the down the street or the bigger brewery, you know, a mile or two away. You know, I, I think I think you got to embrace both of them. But I, but I think the what you want to do is you know really you know say like you know move these guys forward, help them to be you know the brewers that they're destined to be. And the ones that aren't destined to be, that's fine. You know, they'll 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 be there. They'll they'll eventually go away. Yeah. But you know, the, I think 2018 is going to be a lot of uh, you know people making those big decisions on you know on whether they're supporting a brewery or not or supporting it. And I, and I think that's uh, that's going to be hard. You know, because you want to support everybody. Yeah. You know. So. Um. If people want to support you and see this new space in the brewery, uh, the website is. 
Yardsbrewing.com. Yardsbrewing.com, and it has all of the relevant information. Uh, Tom Kehoe, thanks so much for sitting down uh, amid the construction in your brand new 100-barrel brew house. Uh, I appreciate you you being on the Craft Beer and Brewing uh, Magazine podcast. You can learn more about uh, the magazine and hear other episodes of the podcast uh, by dialing up beerandbrewing.com. If you have suggestions on how we can make the show better, uh, you can reach me at John Hall. That's H-O-L-L at beerandbrewing.com or on Twitter, John underscore Hall. Uh, please subscribe. Please tell your friends. And please tune back in next week for a brand new episode. Uh, Tom, thanks again. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. All right. That's great. This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew.